Well, good morning, Bayshore. It's good to see you guys. We're so glad we can be together today. It's just awesome to be with you guys in person today. And those of you that have never seen me in person, see me on the screen, uh, you're all thinking now, you know, he's much better looking in person. I know you're all thinking that. So I, I know what you're thinking there. Hey, it's so good to be in Fenwick Island this morning, and I want to welcome our Millsburg campus. I want all of you guys to give the Millsburg campus a big hand. And... Uh, Thank you guys so much. Millsburg Campus and our Rehoboth Campus invested in Fenwick Island, and we're very excited about being here. So we had an amazing first service, 9 o'clock service, just so good, and just so many people here, and so good to see you guys. We've got such a good group of people here today. So we're just grateful that you're part of what God's doing in Fenwick Island, and we're excited about being here. So, uh, hey, I wanted to give a big shout-out to all the volunteers. we got some amazing volunteers here that are serving at this campus. And uh, coming here, I got here this morning at the 830 uh, pre-service meeting and got to see so many of my good friends and uh, Sam and Lucy and Brad and everybody and and, and uh, by the way didn't Joel and Brigida and the band do amazing today give them a hand that was like so good I mean this is really great you guys are doing so good but it's just such a great great time to be together and we just love you guys love what you're doing I love what's happening with all of our volunteers and I want to give a big shout out to Jeremy Fruscio. Uh, Jeremy is just an incredible leader, and I'm so thankful for Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy's putting 80 hours a weekend down here. I mean, he's working hard, and he's like serving him and Reagan, and they just have got such a vision, and uh, the facilities, you know, just coming together. We got a, a renovation coming this spring, and it's just, you know, so many great things, but uh, we're very, very fortunate to have uh, Jeremy Fruscio in our organization. He's a great leader, and uh, Jeremy, I hope you can hear me at Millsboro. We're just very, very thankful for you. So let's give Jeremy Fruscio a big hand. Let him know how much we appreciate him and his leadership here at Bayshore. We're in a series uh, called All the Feels, and we've been talking about different emotions that we feel. Uh, we talked about anxiety one week, and we're dealing with the different feelings that we experience. And so this week, because this week is Valentine's, we're going to be talking about love today. We're going to talk about love and what love is about. And by the way, Thursday is Valentine's, and so we know sometimes the men maybe forget you know, this Valentine's and don't have the Valentine's card, but in the men's room today, we have a box of Valentine's cards, and uh, you can pick up your Valentine's card today. All campuses at, Mil at Bayshore has Valentine cards for men in the men's room. Now, I wouldn't advise you to bring it out and wave it around that you got it at church. You want to kind of tuck that in, you take it home and sign it, and you're good to go. So uh, anyhow, Valentine's is Thursday, so I thought it would be good for us to talk about love, and, uh, and love is more than a feeling, but it obviously involves feelings, and uh, I just love this idea of talking about love. So one of the problems we have with love when we start talking about love is the English word love is so confining. We just have like one word for every kind of love. You know, we say things like, you know, uh, I love Doritos, and then we say, I love my kids, or I love hot dogs. And, oh, man, I love my wife, you know. Uh, somebody said, we say things like, I, I love my friend, I love the Yankees, I love bacon, I love my mom, and I love God. So we're using the same word to describe our love for bacon as our love for God. So this is a very, very confining word. I don't know if the English, uh, people that compose the English language, if we were just lazy, slothful, or uncreative, but we just like uh, one size fits all. It's like a crescent wrench. I mean, this is our word, love, and we use it for everything. It's like a woman that has like one dress in the closet and she wears for every occasion. There is not such a woman, by the way, but anyhow, 
You know, it's just like we just use that word for everything. Now, the Greeks uh, were much more creative than we are. And the Greeks are, you know, the, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, common Greek. So they had all these words for love. They had all these different words for love. They had, they had a word for sexual love, eros, and we get our word erotic from that. And so whenever they talked about physical attraction, they didn't use, you know, just, uh, you know, any word. They used eros. And if, you, some, if they use eros in a sentence, it meant it was, it was sexual attraction, physical attraction. And that's most of, most of our, our, our pop songs uh, on the radio are written because of that type of love, romantic type of love. Uh, back when I was, you know, uh, in high school, just after the earth's crust cooled, you know, back in the 70s, uh, you know, uh, Olivia Newton-John had the song, I Honestly Love You. How many remember that song? Anybody remember that song? So, you know, hey, when Karen and I were dating, that was, you know, that, ra- that would come on the radio and we'd grab hands, you know, and, and so that, 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 that is uh, Eros kind of love, and physical attraction, sexual love and all that. And uh, that's, that, that's a powerful, a powerful type of love. You know, I remember when I, Karen one day was uh, walking across the parking lot in high school, we were in high school together, and she asked me to take her home and she's just stunning, stunning, you know, and, you know, I was like, whoa, man. She wanted me to take her home. She got my 1969 Chevrolet Nova, and I put my books on top of the car, opened the door for her, got her in, and I'm riding down the road trying to talk to her, and she's so beautiful. Uh, and my books flew off the top of the car. I forgot to take <laughs> the books off the top of my car. So that's a powerful kind of love, you know. The, then there's philia. That's uh, phileo or philia, depending what form the, the word is in. Uh, philia is, is, is friendship kind of love. That's love that the Greeks use for friends, people that are friends. And that is like, uh, that's like a, a, a reciprocal kind of love where two people admire each other. They enjoy being with each other. They have a lot in common. They, they're able to talk. And philia type love, is, it has a, a component of loyalty in it, that you're very loyal to your friends and all that. So the Greeks had that word. Then they had storge. Storge is a word that's not used much in the New Testament. Maybe I think a form of it's used in the New Testament. Storge is a type of love. It's like what you feel for your parents uh, or your kids. You know, it's like a natural innate love all beings have toward, you know, people in their family. <clears throat> and so that's a, that's a love that they would use. So if the Greeks used storge, it was a love that was sort of like a family kind of love. They even used storge like love for your pets. You know, you love your pets, and uh, it's very, uh, you know, it's very, very affectionate kind of kind of love. Uh, my mom, you know, when she was living, she had a, a shih, tzu, shih Tzu dog. I want to be careful how I say that, Shih Tzu dog. Uh, anyhow, you know, that little, she had a little dog. She loved that dog, and the dog's name was Precious, and she loved that dog. She took all of our pictures down and put pictures of the dog everywhere, you know. How many got a dog or a pet you love? You know, you just love your dog. You know, love your cat. We're not going to get into all that. But you love your dog or cat. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, that's storge love. Then there's agape love. We say it agape. Uh, C.S. Lewis would say agape. Uh, Greek people pronounce it different. Agape love is a love that is a commitment. It's the ideal of love. It's, it's not about what a person can do for you. It's not based on feeling. It's sacrificial love. It's love of deep commitment. And it's the kind of love that God has for us. When it says, for God so loved the world, it's the word agape. God is committed to the world. He loved the world. He sacrificed for the world. So it's that type of love. So there's all kinds of different types of love. So I thought we would talk today about, um, about uh, philia, philia love and agape love kind of blended together. And there's a great story uh, in the uh, Old Testament that I think pictures this very well. And it's a story about friendship. 
and the friendship love, uh, it, it evolves, philia sort of evolves into agape love at certain points in this relationship. So it's the relationship between David and Jonathan. It's a great, great story. One of my favorite one of my favorite stories in all of the Old Testament is found in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. And it says, uh, David has just killed Goliath. David is uh, you know, going to become king one day. And the guy that's king currently is Saul. And he has, a, he has a son, his oldest son is named Jonathan. And here's the story. Uh, just real quickly, four verses here. And after David had finished talking to Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. So quick uh, uh disqualifier here it's important to know that this is not talking about gay love the hebrew language doesn't uh regardless of what you think about that this text does not support that because the hebrew words do not support that type of love but what's interesting in the story is we we find that this is the first time that david and jonathan encounter each other and david has just killed goliath he's just killed goliath and uh, he's talking, David's talking with Jonathan's father, Saul. They're dialoguing and talking together. And Jonathan is watching this whole thing unfold. And all of a sudden, his heart is just opened up, and he just loves David. He's connected with David. And that's the first thing to think about uh, this story. This story shows us that some friendships, some philia loves, some friendship type of relationships are supernaturally uh, initiated. They're supernaturally initiated. In other words, God did something between David and Jonathan. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like Jonathan woke up that morning and he said, hey, I'm going to go find my, my friend for life today. I'm going to just go out there and I'm going to find a friend. No, it was that the Lord just did something in Jonathan's heart toward David's heart and David's heart toward Jonathan's heart. And it was a supernatural relational connection. Now, it's important for us to know that God does that in people's lives. Maybe you have moved here from somewhere. Maybe you came from Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, or somewhere, and you're moving into this community. Or maybe you've come to this church, this new campus for the first time, and you're like wondering about relationships. Here's what you need to remember. God is Lord of relationships. God has a way of knitting certain people together. And he is able to kind of like fuse hearts together and, and initiate certain relationships. So that's important for you to remember. You don't have to go around all worried and, man, am I going to get a friend? And am I going to, you know, what's going to happen to me? But the Holy Spirit just has a way of connecting you with certain people. Now, he's not going to connect you with everybody. He's not going to connect you with everybody. There's six billion people on this planet. Bayshore Community Church, we have three campuses, hundreds and hundreds of people. You're not going to be friends with all of those people. But the Holy Spirit in His grace and mercy is going to connect you. He's going to knit you with certain people that you're going to have a relationship with. By the way, the word knit there in the Hebrew is used uh, in another way. It's the same word is used when this lady by the name of Tamar, she's having twins, and one of the, uh, one of the twins sticks their arm out as it's, being, as it's being born, and they tie a red ribbon around the, around the arm of that infant so they can identify which one was born first, and that's the same word. So it says basically that God tied 
David's heart to Jonathan's heart. And God does that with people. Like a pair of tennis shoes, one shoestring here, another shoestring there, and you tie those two together. That's what it means. God tied them together. Now, when Karen and I went to uh, Bible college, we went to this little Bible college in Pensacola, Florida, back in uh, 1979 and early 80s. We were uh, there, and it was a little Bible college. I later went to the University of Delaware and seminary and all that stuff, but uh, my first degree was from this uh, little Bible college in Pensacola, Florida. Wonderful experience there. It's about 250, 300 people in the Bible college, and then it was the Bible college was connected to a church of about 1,500 people. So we were there for just shy of three years. And while we're there uh, in Pensacola uh, and um, in that school, about 250 people and the church, about 2,000 people, over that period of time, there were about four couples, four couples that the Lord just really connected Karen and I to, just connected us to. And we played, uh, we played volleyball together. We went to the beach together. We had fish fries together, which is what they do in the South. Instead of barbecues, they have fish fries. And so we're just having a good time. And we played Uno together. Let me ask you here, how many have ever played Uno? You've ever played Uno? That's a great, great, great card game. And uh, we were in Bible college. We weren't allowed to play poker. So Uno is Bible college poker. So that's what we were doing. <laughs> Bible college poker. And we were playing Uno. And we just spent hours together. And we were very, very close. And it was wonderful. And, and of all the people in that church... All the people in the Bible college, the Holy Spirit tied our hearts with certain people. So what that means is, is, you know, we're part of the church. We love everybody. We're part of the Bible college. We love everybody, enjoying everybody. But there are certain people that the Lord supernaturally connected us to. So I want you to stay with me right now in the Millsburg campus. And I want you to stay with me right here at the Fenwick Island campus. I want you to say this, that the Lord is Lord of our relationships. And he connects us supernaturally with a few people. So the Bible says that God knit David's heart, knit Jonathan's heart with David's heart, and they became one in spirit. They became bonded together, and God does that, and so it's so wonderful. And I just feel like the Holy Spirit's just wanting me to remind somebody in this crowd and, and in the Millsboro crowd as you're listening this morning, there's somebody here, you feel a little isolated, you feel a little lonely, you've moved here, you feel disconnected, and the church is changing, you're feeling all these things, and here's what the Lord is saying to you. The Lord is Lord of your relationships, and you have to remember that the Holy Spirit has a way of, of connecting people together in a supernatural way, and you don't have to sweat it, you don't have to worry about it, He has a way of connecting you with people that he wants you to be connected to. And he wants to give you godly friends, people that love Jesus, people that are full of God's word. He doesn't want to give you just a, somebody that you sit on the tailgate of a pickup truck and drink a bunch of beer and, and kind of like process life. You know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, drinking beer, I assume. But here's what really matters is you want people who love Jesus, who have God's word in them, so that when you go through a hard time, they can be there to pick you up and encourage you in the presence of the Lord. Can you say big amen? So it's important for us to remember that. That's the kind of friend you need. Now, I want you to think about this. When did God give David and Jonathan to each other? When did that happen? It happened at a moment when David was on top of the world. David was on top of the world. He had just killed Goliath, and he was a national hero. Everybody thought David was amazing. He was incredible. Everybody loved David, and he was a national hero, and he didn't need anybody at that moment. 
because he's on top of the world. He's like Andy Reid, who won the Super Bowl finally. Here's a picture of Andy Reid last week, who won the Super Bowl. And I was cheering for Andy Reid. I was in the hospital with my dad watching the Super Bowl at Christiana Hospital on a 14-inch screen TV. It was a really, really interesting experience. But we had a great time, one of the best Super Bowls I've ever had. And uh, there's Andy Reid holding up the, uh, holding up the trophy. He won it. He's on top of the world. Confetti's, confetti's flying everywhere. He's just, it's incredible what's happening to him. And how many enjoyed the Super Bowl? Did you enjoy the Super Bowl? I did. I wasn't so much, you know, a big fan of the striptease show for the halftime. But anyhow, <laughs> I liked the Super Bowl. I thought it was incredible. And Andy Reid, I'm so glad he won. You know, he's been through a lot of things in his life, and that's not a, it's another sermon. But uh, he's uh, just, I was so glad. And this is, where, this is where David is. He's holding the trophy over his head. He doesn't need anybody. He's on top of the world. You know, when things are going good, you don't really need anybody. But God knows that down the road, God knows in just a few months, David's going to become an outlaw, and Saul the king is going to be jealous of David, and Saul's going to be chasing David, and David's going to be hiding in caves, and David's going to be discouraged. And if you read chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, read it forward, you'll find that David is discouraged. You find that David's hiding in caves, and Jonathan comes to him time and time again, and Jonathan encouraging him, and Jonathan's lifting him up, and Jonathan's saying, don't be discouraged, David. You're going to be king, and I'm going to be behind you, and I'm going to be serving you, and David's saying, why is he mad at me? Why is he chasing me? And David is in this low time. And so God gives Jonathan to David in good times because bad times are coming. Because hard times are coming. And God gives you those divine relationships in good times so that when bad times come, you got somebody to stand with you. When I was in Bible college, you know, I had a head full of hair just had a head full of hair. I'm young. I'm idealistic. I'm full of life. I mean, I'm going to go out and change the world. And we, those four or five couples we were friends with, man, we were just like, we were just like chomping at the bit to go out there and change the world. We're playing volleyball and we're playing Uno and we're having a great time. And then we get in the ministry. Some of them became missionaries. Some of my friends became missionaries. Some of them pastor churches. And we went through church splits. And we went through elder issues with our boards. And we went through times when we didn't have, the church didn't have enough money. And we went through all these things. And we were calling each other. We were praying for each other. We went to conferences together. We did vacations together. And those relationships that were born in good times were given to us to help us during hard times. And so God gave David Jonathan before David knew he knew to jo- needed Jonathan. So there's a great verse in Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17 says this. It's a great, great verse. Proverbs 17, 17. And it says this. Listen to this. It says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Now, you know, when you go to, uh, you study the Bible and you go to seminary and all that, they teach you about parallelism, and that is an, and this is an example of parallelism. Parallelism is when, when, when Proverbs will say one line one way, and then the next line it will say it a different way, but it's the same thing. So when it says a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born adversity, the word brother there is really referring to a friend. Uh, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born, adver- born for time adversity. Say it with me. A, brother, uh, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for time of adversity. So a brother is the same idea as a friend, and a brother is born 
a brother is birthed for time of adversity. Jonathan was born in David's life for time of adversity. So God gives you a friend before you need a friend. And so David uh, had Jonathan to stand by his side and support him and stand with him. And here's the other thing. When you get married, uh, you know, this is a, you know, and by the way, I think that filial friendship, uh, that friendship friend, uh, the friendship type of love, I think that should prevail in marriage. Uh, I have some really, really good friends. I have some really good friends. I'm blessed with some good friends. I just love, love my friends. But my best friend is Karen. And my wife, if I had one hour to spend here left on the earth, I'd want to spend it with her because she's my very, very best friend. She knows everything about me. And so she's my friend. She's my best friend. And so I think about when uh, when people get married, you know, when you get married, you, you just you just you're just good. You look good. I, people stand in front of me to get married. And I say to myself, they'll never look this good again. There'll never be another time. This is the apex. This is never going to get any better than this. They look good now. They're on top of the world. You know, they're healthy. Their knees are good. They got money. They're going to go, you know, to Jamaica afterwards. Things are good. I mean, they're good. But that relationship is being born that day. That marriage is being born that day. But down the road, there's times of adversity coming. So a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for time of adversity. So Karen, you know, she came into my life, and I came into her life, and I mean, man, we're young, and we're happy, and everything's good, and so we came together, and the Lord brought us together, and what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. The Lord brought us together sovereignly, and a wonderful thing, and how we came together, and then when, when times got a little hard, we were there for each other. We were able to lift each other up and encourage each other. So in this story, you see this. You see this, this God supernaturally brings people together. So let's say it together. All relationships God ordains have a purpose to help me in hard times. Then the story says that Jonathan took off his robe. Jonathan took off his robe and he gave his robe to David. He gave David his sword. He gave David his bow. And when Jonathan took off his robe, one of the things that it communicates is, is that when Jonathan took off his robe, the robe had been covering up Jonathan. And now Jonathan takes that robe off, and he's open and he's transparent to David. And it's a wonderful picture of what happens in real covenant relationships where you are transparent and you're real with another person, where, where you're not pretending anymore, you're not just superficial, you're not just talking about the weather, you're not just talking about who won the football game, you're not just talking about March Madness, you're just not talking about these, but there's a level of communication where you're talking about your soul, you're talking about your life, and you're sharing your heart, and you're sharing your life, and you, you become transparent with another person. So it's a great picture of transparency. The greater the transparency, the greater the intimacy. The greater the transparency, the greater the intimacy. In, in marriage, you know, marriage is totally transparent. The Bible says in the uh, book of Genesis, it says, uh, and, 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 and God made Adam and Eve, and it says they were both naked. They were both naked. They didn't have any clothes on. They're completely. And, you know, that's like more than just a sexual thing. You know, the two shall become one flesh. That's all, you know, 
wrapped in there somehow. But it's a, it's a metaphor showing that they didn't have any secrets. They were completely honest. They, would, they knew everything about each other. There wasn't any coverage. There was completely transparency. And a marriage must have complete transparency. You can't, you can't lie. You can't duck. You can't deceive. If you're deceiving in any way, the relationship is not intimate. So you have to be open with each other. You have to know everything about each other. Karen knows everything about me. I know everything about her. She knows. She knows. I got a little scar on the side of my head here. I got a little scar right there. You know, so if you look real close, it's on the, that side. She knows how I got that scar. I was uh, five years old. My dad said, hey, you want to go to a football game? I'm running toward the car and I'm running toward the car and I trip and I fall and I cut my, uh, cut my, uh, my, my eye there right by on the, on the car door. She knows how I got that. She knows, she knows when I feel good. She knows when I'm feeling great. She knows when I'm, she, she can tell when she hears me preach how I'm feeling. She can say, you know, she knows everything about me. She knows my fears. She knows my dreams. We're completely naked in front of each other. That's why if a couple, somebody has an affair in a relationship, all of a sudden there's this thing between them and there's no intimacy because there is something that's a secret. So every marital relationship has to have this complete transparency for it to be healthy. And so in a friendship, in a friendship, David took off his robe and Jonathan, David got to see Jonathan, you know, in his t-shirt. He didn't have the robe on anymore. He wasn't covered up anymore. And so real, honest relationships have to have incredible transparency in order to have intimacy. Say this to me, there is no intimacy without transparency. Say it again, there is no intimacy without transparency. And one more time, both campuses, Millsboro, Femic Island, without transparency, there is no intimacy. So, just a few people. Just a few people in your life, do you have that transparency, that intimacy? You don't tell everybody everything. You tell people, you take your robe off in front of people that God has supernaturally connected you to. Dave, uh, Jonathan didn't get up on the wall and show the whole army, didn't take the whole ro- robe off in front of the whole army. It was not for the whole army to see. It was simply for this person that God connected him with. You know, I see people get on Facebook, you know. How many are on Facebook? You're on Facebook, raise your hand. You're on Facebook. You ever seen on Facebook? Some people just get on, they just tell everything about their life. Doesn't it freak you out? It freaks me out. It's too much information. They're telling me, you know, they're telling everybody how depressed they are and how much they hate their husband and how they just hate everything and they're just spilling out. It's like, bleh. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, don't do that. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to take your robe off in front of everybody. You're not supposed to do that. That's for a covenant relationship. Don't tell everybody that stuff. That's way too much information for me. I don't want to know all that. Save some dignity for yourself. Respect yourself. I was up in the hospital taking care of my dad. As I mentioned, I was in the hospital with him on Sunday night, and I slept in this little day room up there. Here's a picture of this room I slept in. Uh, and, you know, he, he had another person in the, in the room with him, so I was in there with him, and I slept. I slept in that couch, that blue couch right there. And so I just slept there and, you know, got up in the morning. And so I got up in the morning, got some breakfast, and my da- they are taking care of my dad. 
uh, and the door was closed, so they were doing some work on him. So I had come up from breakfast, I had my big backpack, and I walk up on the nurse's section there where we were on the fourth floor, and there was a little, like a nurse's station, and then rooms around that, and, and there was nowhere to go, but there was this day room that I was going to go into, but there was these there like 15 nurses in there, they were having a meeting, and, and the nurses on the floor saw me with my book bag and said, hey, go on in there, they don't care, just go on in there. There's a chair, and they're just having a meeting, they won't even know you're there. Okay, so I took my book bag, and I walked in, and there was a chair by the door, and I sat down, and they all quit talking, and they turned around and looked at me, and all 15 of them got up and walked out. <laughs> They're kind of looking at me like, what are you doing in here? Like, something they were talking about I wasn't supposed to know about. And I felt a little weird, you know, I just end up sitting in the chair all by myself in that room. They all left me in there. Some people aren't supposed to hear the deepest but there is somebody and there are some people that the Lord wants to put in your heart to change you. And somebody that you can take your robe off, somebody you can be real with, somebody you can be honest with. Here's what uh, Tim Keller said. He's got a great little thing. He says Tim Keller is a uh, great, you know, great teacher from New York City. Uh, uh, I think it's a uh, big Presbyterian church up there. I can't remember the name of it right now. He's a, one of my favorite authors. Here's, wh here's what Tim Keller says. To be loved but not known is comforting, but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear, but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. So everybody needs Jonathan, and the Lord is Lord of that, the Lord is sovereign over that, and he gives you those relationships. Those relationships are special, and you just have to let the Lord do that. And we just, we just, and one of the things when I pray for Bayshore, and I walk in the auditorium, and I just pray for our, our churches, one of the things I pray for is I pray that God will sovereignly knit people together, give us Jonathan and David relationships so we can stand with each other and support each other during difficult times. Very, very important thing. So David was, you know, there and Jonathan gave him his robe and Jonathan, you know, gave David his sword. That's a little interesting thing. He gave his, you know, a sword is a weapon that you protect yourself from. Have you ever noticed anybody that's a little guarded? They guard themselves. You can't get very close to them. And, and they're just very guarded. And uh, for whatever reason, and they got that sword. And but but Jonathan handed that over and he and he wasn't guarded. You know, sometimes how you can tell people are guarded if you're talking to them and all of a sudden they start bragging about themselves. You ever been around somebody who start bragging about themselves? They start telling you, you know, how great they are. And you say, hey, I climbed Mount Everest. So they say, well, I've been to the moon. You know, I say they did something better. <laughs> you ever meet somebody like that? It's a guy at the, the guy, uh, there's a guy at the tennis club where I play. And he just, he's just like a name dropper and he's always bragging. And I, and I listen to him and I love him and I care about him. But I know, I know that he's the, probably the most insecure person. Because the more somebody brags, the more insecure they are. And the more you try to impress somebody, the, least, the, the less impressive you are. And so, you know, you don't have to do that. The Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love is kind, love is patient, and love does not brag. If you know you're loved by somebody, if you know that you have a covenant relationship with somebody, you don't, have to, you don't have to put on, you don't have to make yourself big, you don't have to make yourself impressive. You can just be yourself, and it's a very important principle. But then the Bible says that, uh, you know, when he took that robe off and he gave it to, to David, there's, there's more there, though. 
It's more than just transparency. There's more there. Because that's the robe. That's the robe of a king. He, he's a prince. He's going to be king. He's next in line. He's, he's Saul's oldest son. He is supposed to be the king. And he gives his robe to David because he recognizes that David is going to be the king and he's not going to be the king. And he puts David ahead of himself. And one of the great levels of love is when you put somebody else above yourself. And that's the highest form of love. When it's no longer about, I'm going to give you this and you're going to give me something back. It's about when you sacrificially give something because you make them more important than yourself. It says in Philippians chapter 2 that this mind that's in Christ Jesus should be in us, who was in the form of God, humbled himself and became a servant. But we should place others above ourselves. And so in relationships, when you think about marriage, particularly in marriage, one of the things in marriage is marriage is a serving contest. It's a serving contest. Who can outserve the other person? It's not who can do something for me. It's who can we want to just be outserving each other and loving each other and caring for each other and doing more for each other because we love each other. We need that. We need that in our relationships. Um, Karen is better. She's, she's winning in our serving competition. I mean, I'm, I want to be better. I want to serve, but she's just wonderful. Uh, this week, I, I was here on Thursday. I did a pre-taping in case something goes crazy. And uh, so I always do on Thursday, you know, in case something, the live feed doesn't work or something. So I'm down here. I, I did a little message here, did this message here. Nobody was here. Uh, the people in the sound booth were cheering for me. But anyhow, I was there. They're really great. I'm like, whoa. And when I say repeat after me, they're all saying it in there. It was wonderful. But anyhow, I, you know, I had a great time hanging out with Jeremy and everybody was here and Nate Williams and everybody that uh, some of the people on staff were here and they were unloading these chairs and all that. So had a great time. And I got home and a tragedy happened. The tragedy happened was I had left my iPad down here. I left my iPad down here. I couldn't find my iPad. How many have ever lost your iPad? And you know, it's the end of Western civilization when you lose your iPad. I'm in big trouble, you know. I'm like, oh, my gosh, where's my iPad? And then I got a text from Jeremy. Hey, we got your iPad. We're going we're gonna, to we meet you. Well, I'll meet you at the Millsburg campus, you know. And so it's like late at night, and I'm tired. I'm like, man, I just want to go to bed. I got a big funeral the next day, and it's just, oh, man, it's just been a crazy week. And I'd like, oh, man, I didn't want to go out in the rain, didn't want to go out in the cold. I just didn't want to have to do this. But, you know, hey, you know. So I go in the bedroom, and Karen, she's all ready for bed. She's got her pink robe on. You know, pink robe with the egg stain on it. You, does your wife have one of those, you know? <laughs> she got big, you know, she got one of those, you know. So she is, like, covered up. She's got her pink robe on. She's got the bed tilted up. She's got the TV on, and she's watching Heartland or something on Netflix. I don't know what the world she's watching. She's watching, and I'm thinking, oh, man. So I said, you know, it, you know, she had her little, you know, fuzzy blanket covered up with a, you know, her pink thing, and it was just, you know, and I said, you know, you, you, you wouldn't want to go, you wouldn't want to go with me down to the church to get this iPad. I don't want to go by myself. And I waited, and I knew what I would have said, you know, like, uh, not a chance. I'm going to do this, but anyhow, <laughs> she said, sure. She, she, she took that blanket off and took the pink robe off, which I was thankful for. She took the pink robe off. And she got dressed, and we got out in the cold, got in the rain, and we, we drove down to the church, and we waited, and Jeremy didn't come, you know, he didn't come, and so we, we called, and then we went to, he was here busy working, and so we, it was like 9 o'clock at night, so we, we, I text Reagan, and I, we met at the uh, Royal Farms, and, and we sat there and waited in the rain, and, and uh, then we went home, and it's just, just wonderful how wonderful Karen was. She did that. That's agape love. 
Nothing she got out of that. She did it because she loved me and she was devoted to me. It's, it's like when Jonathan took his robe off. You're more important than me. See, you got to make, that's the highest form of love when you make somebody more important than you are. And that's what it's about. And it's about laying your life down. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, you know, he's there getting ready to go on the cross and he's going to give his life for the sins of the world. And he's kneeling down. He's washing the dirty feet of the disciples, it says in John chapter 13. He's washing their grimy, dirty feet before he goes to the cross because he's modeling agape love for us that we love each other and we give even when the other cannot give back. And this is true about marriage. There's some days in marriage some days in marriage where, you know, some days you're both, you know, on your, you're on all cylinders and you're both serving each other and you're having a serving competition and you're all serving and you're doing good and you're doing good. And then there comes times when it's just, you're just out of it. I mean, you just, things are bad and you have nothing to give. And the other person does all the giving. That happens in relationships sometimes. That can't go on forever. But there's times when you, there's just nothing to give. And the other person does all the giving. That's agape love. So, this week, I mean, I had, I mean, this week was crazy. My dad was in the hospital uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I brought him home Tuesday afternoon, and I came home, and I got this, I have this major funeral to do, big funeral, this young person. It was really difficult to do, and I had this funeral to do, and I had several meetings, and I had to get ready to, to, to communicate and, and to be a part of this weekend, and all that, a lot to do, and, uh, and generally what I do at home is I wash my own clothes. I just wash my own clothes. I just, I like to do that, and helps Karen out a little bit, so I got my little thing. I washed my own clothes, and know how to you know, get them all put away and all that. So uh, my, my, my walk-in closet, my clothes are like piling up. It's like Mount Everest in there. They're piled up. And I came home one night, and all my clothes were washed, and they were laying on the, on the bed there and all ready to be put away. It wasn't like I said, woman. <laughs> woman, you better put them clothes away. That's just stupidity right there. That's just ignorance. Those days are over and they should have never been here. So she just did. She loved me. And agape love is giving sacrificially for the benefit of the other person. Say it with me. Agape love is giving sacrificially for the benefit of another person. Well, let's say that one more time. Both campuses. Let's say it. Agape love is giving sacrificially for the benefit of another person. So this week's Valentine's Day, and there's this little boy named Chad. Chad's a little boy. He's in, he's in maybe, f uh, maybe first grade, five years old, and he's got big, thick glasses. His name's Chad, and he's not very popular. He's a little nerdy, and his, his, uh, his mom, you know, knows that he's probably not very popular in school, and he comes home the day before Valentine's, and he said, hey, Mom, I want to give Valentine cards to all the kids in my class. And she's thinking, oh, no, I don't know how many Valentine cards he's going to get back. And I don't want him to be hurt. I don't want him to feel rejected. But that night they sat down at the kitchen table and they filled out 32 Valentine's cards. He signed his little name with his little, little fat fingers, wrote his name there. And, and uh, he got them all sealed up and he put them in his book satchel for the next day and he goes to school. And she's worried about him all day thinking he's going to give all these Valentine cards out and he's not going to get a Valentine cards back. And so she's all ready for him when he gets off the bus. She's got chocolate chip cookies made. She's got milk. And he's walking down the sidewalk, and he's shaking his head. And he's saying, not a one, not a one, not a one. 
And he goes up on the uh, he goes up on the step and he says, not a one. Mom, we didn't miss a one. We didn't miss a one. He got everybody Valentine's card. He was worried about what he could give, not what he could get back. Agape love flows this way sacrificially. And all of us have to do it sometimes. God's love for us flows that way. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were full-fledged rebels against God, that's when Jesus came. When we were hard against the Lord and we were not serving the Lord and our hands weren't raised toward God, that's when Jesus came. When there was nothing coming back, agape love for God so loved the world. And he gave us salvation free. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, By grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. It's completely by grace. It's completely free. It's completely by the Lord. Yesterday, Karen and I ate at the, uh, the New Jersey Mike's restaurant, uh, the sub shop in Millsboro. is just coming on now. Coming on strong. We got a Starbucks and we got a Jersey Mike's. I don't know what's going to happen next, but it's going to be incredible. It's amazing. We went to Jersey Mike's. I got the... Uh, the original Italian, uh, otherwise known as the Celestial Stone, um, uh, you know, sandwich. But uh, I just, I, I, it was wonderful. We had a great time. And then after it got done eating, we had the, our chips, and Karen got, you know, something really good with rosemary bread. It was just great. And then I thought, you know what I really, what I really, really need now is I need a chocolate chip cookie. How many know you got to have a chocolate chip cookie after a good meal like that? So I'm thinking I need a chocolate chip cookie. So we thought about uh, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A has the best chocolate chip cookies everywhere. I mean, so anywhere. So uh I thought she had to go get her car washed, and I was going to help her vacuum the car out. I said, you go down there, I'll go get our cookies. And I went to the Chick-fil-A in Millsboro, and I'm in line there, and I make my order. I want two chocolate chip cookies. You want them warmed up? No, they're good enough just the way they are. Chocolate chip cookies, I ordered two of them. And I'm coming around where you pay, and there's uh, Tim Sweetney, the guy that owns the Chick-fil-A there, and I've met him a few times. And he said, how is the Fenwick Island campus doing? He'd heard about the Fenwick Island campus. I said, they're doing great, best-looking people of any campus we got. And he says, hey, love what you're doing. He said, the cookies are free today. Whew. How many know that the Lord is in this campus? That was confirmation. <laughs> that is confirmation. God is in this campus. Cookies to lead pastor. That's God saying, I'm in this thing. <laughs> but it's free. Salvation is free. It's free. The Lord gives us his freedom and he blesses us and he takes care of us. I, uh, I'm so grateful for what the Lord's doing in you. And God's going to bring us together and bless us. I, I just, one little quick little, little story at the end here. I should have probably quit like five minutes ago, but here we go. Um, one of my favorite movies is a movie called 13 Days. And it's a movie uh, about the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis in, in 1962. It's one of the best movies I think ever made incredible movie it's a great historical movie uh it cost eighty thousand dollars eighty eighty million dollars to make they made sixty six million on it they didn't break even on that movie but it's got Kevin Costner and he plays Kenneth O'Donnell who is the is the uh, primary assistant to President Kennedy and then Bobby Kennedy is played by a guy named Stephen Culp 
and uh, President Kennedy's played by uh, Bruce Greenwood, and it's a great movie. It's about how Kennedy was under pressure from the military to, to bomb uh, those missiles in, in Cuba and to have an invasion of Cuba, and there's all this stuff going on, and Kennedy knew better he shouldn't do that. It's like a re replay of World War I, and he was trying to avoid all that. But at the end of the day, they had to make this deal. They had to make this deal. Uh, where the Bobby Kennedy was going to go talk to the Russian ambassador. And Bobby Kennedy, if he didn't succeed in this meeting, on Monday, this was on, on Saturday, on Monday, we were going to go to war. We were going to bomb Cuba. And he goes in this meeting, and, and Bobby Kennedy is a wreck. But K Kenny O'Donnell, who's the played by Kevin Costner, he get, he, he, instead of the driver driving Bobby to this meeting, uh, Kenny O'Donnell, the assistant president, he drives him, and he's talking to him. He's encouraging him all along the way. And Bobby Kennedy goes into the office to meet with the, uh, meet with the Russian ambassador. And if he doesn't succeed in this meeting, uh, we're going to go into World War uh, III. Uh, nuclear war. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be terrible. And so he goes in to this meeting. And Kenny O'Donnell, played by Kevin Costner, he had this habit. When he was walking along in the White House, he'd always whistle. He'd always whistle. So Bobby Kennedy goes in to meet with a Russian ambassador and Kenny O'Donnell played by Kevin Costner sits on the outer office and he starts to whistle and Bobby Kennedy it shows the the movie shows Bobby Kennedy and the Russian ambassador can hear can hear a Kenny O'Donnell whistling in the other room and Bobby Kennedy gets his support and he realizes that that Kenny O'Donnell is with him at his hardest moment and he could hear him whistling during the whole meeting. And I want to ask you, when you go through your life and you're in those hard moments, who do you hear whistling? Who do you hear whistling in the outer office? So you need to see the movie. It's a great movie. It's got some bad language in it. I, didn't, I don't approve all of that, but it's a great movie. And everybody needs somebody whistling for them when they're in a hard time. Say it with me as we end this message. Everybody needs somebody whistling for them when they're going through a hard time. Everybody at the Millsburg campus, let's all raise our hands. And everybody at the Fenwick Island campus, let's raise our hands right now. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to pour out his grace on us. Lord, we thank you that you have knit us together. We've you've been called together in this church for a special reason. We are ordained by you to be here, Lord, of all of our campuses. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is sovereign over our relationships, that you're going to knit us together with certain people, and that, Lord God, you're going to help us, Lord, not only in the good times, but in the hard times as well. I pray for every marriage here as we come up on Valentine's Day. We pray that there'll be a serving competition going on, that they'll lay their life down for each other and serve each other with all their hearts. We ask your blessing on this week as we walk in your love. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen.